Greetings and salutations in the name of our Lord. Pardon me while I wipe my thumbprints off my glass lenses. I hope everybody's having a fabulous day. I know I am. Well, we're getting to a pretty exciting part of the book of Acts for me. Not because of what happens, because something tragic happens. But at the end of chapter 12 is where we take a look at our first epistle as it falls in the Acts narrative. And we'll get to that at the end here. Well, what has happened up till now? Well, let's just go back up here and do a little review. The big thing was Gentiles are coming into the church. That's huge news. That's big news. That's monstrous. That's titanic. That's my word. That's titanic. And Peter had gone to the house of Cornelius and had seen the Holy Spirit fall on Cornelius' household, just like it had fallen on them in the book of Acts. And they're kind of surprised at this. But Peter takes a very pragmatic view. He says, you know, they're not Jews. Yet, God is accepting them into his body. We can't ignore it. So Peter sanctioned what he saw, like he had to sanction God, but you know what I mean. He put his uh, seal of approval and he treated them like Christian brothers and sisters. Uh, he comes back to Jerusalem and he's accused of going into a Gentile's home by Jewish believers. Now remember, there's it's no small thing, this um, disdain between Gentiles and Jews. The Jews were under the thumb of Rome and they resented it. And they looked at almost all uh, Gentiles with suspicion. So all they heard was Peter went and had a dinner with some Gentiles in their house. Bad stuff. And Peter shares a story and they rejoiced. They said, wow, even Gentiles have been granted repentance. That was news that that could even be possible. But that's what happened. Even Gentiles have been granted repentance that leads to life. Now, some uh, with the persecution be that had started under the uh, uh, oversight of Saul, who is now converted, by the way, and has been away for a while, the church scattered a little bit, and some of them went to Antioch and started preaching to the Gentiles. And now we've gone from a family of Gentiles in Cornelius' household to a city-wide movement among Gentiles of becoming believers in the Jewish Messiah, Jesus. It says here, some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also. Who are these men from Cyprus and Cyrene? Just men. They weren't apostles. They weren't elders, they weren't deacons necessarily. They were just men. And they traveled to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. They were witnesses. 
Just as a short aside, you know what the job of a witness is, right? A witness's job is not to prosecute. A witness's job is not to defend, to use courtroom picture. A witness's job is to tell what they know and what they've seen. And that's all these people did. They went to Antioch. They told him what they'd seen. They told him what they knew. And the Lord's hand was with them. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. There was a citywide movement in Antioch. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. He arrived and saw what God had done. He encouraged them. And he was a good man. And a number of people were brought to the Lord. More people were saved under the ministry of Barnabas. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. He found him and brought him back to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul taught the people in Antioch. Basically, I would imagine they just poured the word into them. What word? Torah. Five books of Moses. They taught them what the word had to say from the prophets, from the Psalms. They taught them about who Jesus was and why it was so important that he be Messiah and why he was Messiah. This was a cultural thing that had to be uh, that had to be addressed there because these people were not raised in the Jewish culture. So Paul and Barnabas had to teach them the Jewish scriptures. I think that had to have been an exciting time. So that's where we're at right now. So now it's Acts chapter 12. We're back in Jerusalem. It was about this time that King Herod, who, by the way, he was a grandson of Herod the Great who ruled when Jesus was born. It's about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church. Now, I don't know why he would arrest them, but he did. Intending to persecute them, he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Now, James was the first apostle, disciple, to suffer martyrdom. Uh, this James was a brother of John and the son of Zebedee. This event took place about 10 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus had warned of the coming suffering, and he was put to death with a sword. Tradition holds that he was beheaded, like John the Baptist. And this would be a particularly shameful method of death in that Jewish culture to be beheaded by a sword. And so he arrested James, who was one of the leaders. Now, finally, and I don't mean this with any sense of glee, but it has always puzzled me up until now, why didn't they go after the leaders of the church? Why didn't the religious community try to get the leaders of the church uh, arrested and killed? And I don't have a good answer for that. Maybe they were afraid. Maybe they were afraid because they suspected that what they were teaching was true. I don't know. It, it, it's uh, The religious community in that day were ve was very fickle and very self-motivated, uh, in my opinion. Uh, much of the religious leadership was corrupted 
and their place in religious leadership was a, a political as much as it was spiritual. And I don't have an answer for that. But Herod, he went after the leadership and he found James and he killed him. When he saw that this met with the approval among the Jews, he went after Peter and he seized Peter as well. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Uh, every six hours or so, four soldiers would be swapped out. So he had 16 soldiers, but he was guarded by four of them at a time. After arresting him, they put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each, and Herod intended to bring him out for public execution, public trial, excuse me, after the Passover. So Peter was in jail possibly as much as a week, depending on when during the Passover week he was imprisoned. Uh, he was at least there for several days. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying for him. This is kind of interesting to me. The church is experiencing its first really major persecution. Now, the first religious community, Saul, had gone after them, but now the Roman leadership is coming down on them. Now, Herod, yes, he was king of the Jews, but he was a Roman puppet. Uh, and he was coming down heavy on him. So news of the imprisonment of all these Christians and the death of James and now the impending death and execution of Peter because that's what was going to happen to him concerned greatly the believers throughout Jerusalem and Judea. They responded by meeting in homes and praying fervently and passionately for one of their beloved leaders. This had to be a scary time. This was the first really big test. High-profile individuals were imprisoned by the government. James was killed. Peter was waiting his execution. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, now remember, Peter had spent several days in jail, maybe as much as a week. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. He wasn't going anywhere. Maybe... Folks were remembering how he walked out of jail before when the uh, temple guards put him in jail and he just walked away. So anyway, they got him chained between two guards. There's no way he's getting away. And two guards stood, two sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. So Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards. <laughs> they went right by him. It was like the guards didn't even see him because, well, apparently the guards didn't see him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they'd walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel 
left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. Hmm. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, John Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she didn't even open the door. She ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, it must be his angel. Well, in the ancient world, a lot of people believed in guardian angels and that guardian angels resembled the one whom they were sent to guard. So they said, oh, you're just seeing his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James, the brother of Jesus, and the other brothers and sisters about this he said, and then he left for another place. He didn't go back into the temple to preach like he did last time. He went to another place to escape. The Lord's brother, who was a leader in Jerusalem, that's James. So when he says, tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he's talking about the Lord's brother, James, who was in leadership of the church at the time. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a, made a, thir had a thorough search made for him and didn't find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and now they joined together and sought an audience with him after securing the support of Blastus a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. Now, there was a historian from this time frame. His name was Josephus. He writes, he describes a silver robe, dazzling bright, that Herod wore that day. When people acclaimed him a god, he did not deny it. He was seized with violent pains, carried out, and died five days later. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Now, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem back to Antioch, taking with them John, also called Mark. And thus ends chapter 12. Now, this is kind of exciting to me because I've never done this before. We are going to go back and do a, a summary review of J the epistle of James. James, a brother of Jesus, wrote this at about this time, from what I've been able to gather. Many people think the letter of James was the earliest New Testament epistle, so I'm just going to go with that. And we are going to do an overview of the book of James. 
Uh, we've already covered it in detail. You can go find that in my podcast. So we're not going to go into as much detail, but we're going to do an overview of it. And we're going to keep in mind what was going on in the culture and the political culture, the religious culture of the time when he wrote it, which is this at this period. Uh, James, brother of John, has been executed. There was persecution popping up in Jerusalem and Judea. Uh, the church was becoming populated with large amounts of Gentiles. And I don't know what the the makeup of the church was. Was it was 60-40 Gentile Jewish or 80-20 Jewish Gentile? Don't know. What I do know is that the book of Acts is making a really big deal about how many Gentiles are being added to the mix here. And it's in that confusing soup if you will, of Christianity that James writes his letter. And so we're going to, we're going to discuss James's letter within the context of what's going on in Jerusalem and what we've learned so far in the book of Acts. That makes sense? I hope so. All right, we're getting ready to wrap up this episode, but I just want to interject something about the book of James. I was very excited when I did James's epistle. I learned an awful lot. Now, when I get to go back and took what I learned and take what I've learned and put it within the context of what's happening in the book of Acts, I'm even more excited. So this is going to be um, something that I'm very much interested in seeing what's going to happen next. So having said that, I hope you have a fabulous day, and I look forward to going over and surveying the Epistle of James within the context of the book of Acts. This is Mr. Garwood. This is my coffee. I'm out of here. Bye-bye.